engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Good evening. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here at Atlanta's Evening News. The other news of the day is the purge, DHS edition. The president has fired the Secretary of Homeland Security. He has fired the uh, head of the Secret Service, and he has withdrawn from Senate consideration his head of Immigration and Customs Enforcement. The president wants a complete overhaul of the Department of Homeland Security. But I have some fairly credible sources who are telling me that the real reason the uh, Homeland Security Secretary uh, has been fired is because he was offered, he's, by the way, he's highly regarded. Secret Service agents love the head of the Secret Service. During the Obama years, if you will recall, there were a series of scandals. I mean, you had Secret Service agents going out and hiring strippers and prostitutes and and doing drugs and things like that. It, It was really, really bad. And they lowered the security parameters for uh, protecting the president. And uh, the new guy came in and he dramatically overhauled uh, the Secret Service. He boosted morale. Morale was actually one of the big issues with the Secret Service. There, there was a lot of low morale at the Secret Service. It didn't really have to do with the president. I mean, there are a lot of people on the right. They say, oh, well, it was Barack Obama. Of course, they didn't like protecting him. That's actually not true. Um, they... they they had internal functional problems within the Secret Service. A lot of it had to do with the reorganization of the department from the Department of Treasury to the Department of Homeland Security, going back years into the Bush administration after 9-11 when they restructured government. So they brought in uh, Tex, uh, what, what is it, Ailes, and uh, and they liked him. He was able to turn the apartment around. He was willing to, or Tex Alice, he was willing to rebuild the department. He was willing to boost morale. He was willing to do the things he needed to do to earn the trust of the agents. Well, I am told that the president made feelers out to the uh, Department of Homeland Security and in particular to the U.S. Secret Service head, Tex Alice, to see if he would become the head of Department of Homeland Security. And he declined, and the president got very mad, and they fired him. Uh, the director, of, again, his name is Tex Alice, uh, Randolph Tex Alice. The, he was told two weeks ago there would be a transition in leadership. He was asked to stay on. The president reached out, from what I am told, to see if he would take over Department of Homeland Security. He declined, and he was ousted. Now, what this really is about is a larger shakeup in the Department of Homeland Security. If you will remember, Kristen Nielsen was not a Trump loyalist. She was a... Uh, loyalist to John Kelly, the White House chief of staff. He was then John Kelly when he came into the administration. He was the head of the Department of Homeland Security. He was moved into the White House to be chief of staff, and Kristen Nielsen went with him. She was then appointed with the urging of John Kelly to the Department of Homeland Security. And while she was at the Department of Homeland Security, she regularly opposed the president's um, issues related to securing the southern border. 
eventually, while Kristen Nielsen was getting a lot of blame in public for caging children or whatnot, by the way, a policy actually implemented by the Obama administration just carried over to the Trump administration. While she was getting the blame for those policies behind the scenes, she was actually trying to obstruct those policies and undermine some of the uh, orders the president made on the southern border. Now, there is another issue related to this, and I've been trying to feel out sources on this issue, and I'm not really getting anyone taking the bait on this, but I actually do wonder about it because I've heard this buzz now. First, it seemed to be internet gossip, but it actually seems like it is coming from people within the White House. So some inside the White House... Not a majority of people. I want to be careful how I say this because I essentially right now I'm, I'm throwing out some gossip to you and it is not gossip that I have confirmed, but it is gossip that I know exists and it is uh, muttering behind the scenes among a select few within the White House who have access to the president. Some inside the White House for some time have muttered that they thought Kristen Nielsen was the author of the anonymous op-ed in the New York Times. I noticed a reporter um, with CNN pointing out how similar her, her resignation letter sounded to the wording, uh, the choice of words, and, and how commas were used, et cetera, in the anonymous op-ed. Now, I'm, everything passes through editors at the New York Times, including anonymous op-eds, so I have no idea, but... But um, there are a few people, not a substantial number, but influential people inside the White House who have long suspected maybe Kristen Nielsen is the one who wrote the anonymous op-ed. She worked for John Kelly in Homeland Security, and then she was his deputy chief of staff. She was assistantly, uh, essentially his right hand, his assistant inside the White House. She was the one who uh, did the scheduling, had to navigate the president and the president's staff, and then she moved over to Homeland Security. So there are a few people, a few people who had access to the president's ear who have long suspected she was the author of that anonymous op-ed. And I wonder if that has played anything uh, in this. Because the president, since before the election, has been rumored to want to get rid of Kristen Nielsen. He hasn't wanted her there at all. And now he's he's booted her on Sunday. So the, the, the ultimate issue that led to resignation is she went to a meeting, long scheduled meeting in Europe of her European counterparts on Homeland Security, and it became very, very obvious the president did not want her there, wanted her back in Washington dealing with the border situation. The president thinks the border is spiraling out of control. By the way, I, I think the border is at this point, I think it's safe to say, uh, it is spiraling out of control. Even the media is starting to notice we are having a massive influx of people along the southern border. I'm not sure why. They say it is because of uh spiraling issues in Central and South America that the president has cut some uh, foreign aid already. It's caused deterioration in some of those countries. But uh, y'all, I know this this is the, the paranoid fringe Alex Jones statement of the day for me. But part of me still wonders if there is behind the scenes some organized effort to encourage people to come to the southern border to exacerbate the crisis. 
Um, and I've, I've been wondering this for a while. And you know, it's one of those things you're not supposed to say out loud. It sounds kooky. I have no evidence of it at all. Nothing. But it just seems like we suddenly are seeing spikes in the number of people coming across the border. Border agents are overwhelmed. Is this another situation of, of someone manufacturing crisis where there hasn't been one? Because by and large, while yes, there have been spending cuts in foreign aid already, and the president is proposing further spending aids, what is what is causing the escalation of violence? What is causing the problems suddenly that are causing people to move north? Now, it's a complicated issue. There are no short answers. And, and I realize in me saying this, much as I criticize conspiracy theorists out there, people are trying to find simple answers to complicated problems. And it is a very complicated problem. But it just seems very odd that in the run-up to the election and now suddenly there are these waves after waves of caravans coming where there had been none. There, there were certainly always migration, and there were the occasional caravan, just not the wave after wave after wave. It's just there's something not right here, and I'm not exactly sure what it is. But that problem has caused a deterioration in the president's trust with the Secretary of Homeland Security. He ousted her. He tried to get the Secret Service head to become that uh, person. He said no. The president has ousted him. He decided he did not have confidence in the Immigration and Customs Enforcement nominee. So now he's basically going to completely clean house of the Department of Homeland Security. The problem is this. There are only a limited number of people willing to serve this president in that capacity because more and more people view it as a thankless job. So who will step forward? I have a napping pillow. I know it sounds odd, but I have a pillow. And when I take a nap, I nap with it. In fact, you know, I've mentioned the call map to you guys. When I nap, sometimes I'll use the call map and this pillow makes it fantastic. It is my butterfly pillow. 63% of Americans sleep on their sides. And, you know, if you go to the store, you'll see really firm pillows, somewhat firm pillows, soft pillows. Well, my butterfly pillow gives you support in the places you need it most. It keeps your neck and your spine in alignment throughout the night, even if you switch sides. My butterfly pillow has patented sleep technology. It elevates your head to where you need it. It includes a place even to fit your arm and a pillow and a pillow for your ear. It's soft. It's comfortable even if you stay in one position all night. And the height, this is what I particularly love, the height of my butterfly pillow is adjustable. It also has Bluetooth-adapted night owl speakers so you can listen to music, sounds, or even a smart TV. Listeners to my program, The Eric Erickson Show, this here podcast, can save $30 off the list price of $129. Use code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at checkout, and you'll get My Butterfly Pillow for just $99 and free shipping in the continental U.S. Go to MyButterflyPillow.com and enter code ERIC at checkout to save $30, get free shipping. That's MyButterflyPillow.com. The checkout code is ERIC. And yes, I had a nap this afternoon before recording this here podcast ad and i used my butterfly pillow i turned on the call map and i slept a hard sleep for 30 minutes you know it was one of those naps where you you actually it's enough time but not so long that you wake up super groggy i was refreshed it was relaxing it was great all thanks to my butterfly pillow go to my butterflypillow.com use the checkout code eric Well, we got up and the flooring in our kitchen is buckled. And it turns out that the line into the ice maker on the refrigerator froze over. 
And so the water has nowhere to go in the line. And so it's been spraying for God knows how long uh, behind the refrigerator. Now, I called on Friday and said the ice maker was broken. So at least all weekend long, water has been spraying behind our refrigerator. And our floor, we got a hardwood floor in the kitchen. It is buckled over all in front of the refrigerator and behind the refrigerator water has seeped in under the floorboards it is a wreck i guess i'll be calling the insurance company over something like that what a mess this happened to us several years ago when our dishwasher overflowed and buckled the kitchen well when we come back potential successors for the secretary of homeland security i've got a list Who is going to be the replacement for Secretary of Homeland Security? No one knows the mind of Donald Trump, but there are four names in real circulation, I am told, one of which has been in and out of circulation even since John Kelly left Homeland Security to become White House Chief of Staff, and that is Secretary of Energy Rick Perry. Uh, Perry, I am told, uh, fairly reliably is not interested in the job. He does not want it. Uh, even though he's got the experience of dealing with the Texas border, he has said repeatedly he really loves uh, his energy department job. In fact, you know, we had Rick Perry at the resurgent gathering last year in Austin, and this is a man who is enamored with his job. And I mean that in a good way. He, The Department of Energy, if you will recall, when Perry ran for office, was one of the departments in the government Rick Perry wanted to eliminate. And now he's the Secretary of Energy uh, presiding over the department he wanted to eliminate. And he was very honest that he did not realize the Department of Energy did as much as it did, particularly guarding our nuclear secrets and, and our nuclear uh, energy position, uh, uh, looking at nuclear development, things like that. He's got a highly, highly uh, classified division within the Department of Energy. By the way, there's a story I want to get to later about uh, the build-out of nuclear energy in the United States relevant to Plant Vogel. We'll get there if we have time. But anyway, I don't think Perry wants the job. He's been offered it before and declined. Another is a good friend of mine, Ken Cuccinelli. He's the former Virginia Attorney General. He ran for a uh, governor in Virginia, Chris Christie, really screwed him out of the job, frankly. Uh, the race was really, really close. Chris Christie did not like Ken Cuccinelli and refused to spend some additional uh, Republican Governor Association money in Virginia, and then he lost the race uh, barely. So he is is leading. He's a good guy, really like uh, Ken Cuccinelli. He's highly competent, would be a great guy. Uh, the other is Chris Kobach. He is the former Kansas Secretary of State. He's got a national reputation of being very uncompromising on illegal immigration. He lost the Kansas governor's race in November. He's been trying to get a job in the Trump administration, possibly uh, that may be it. The president has floated his name in the past for a position. And last but not least, and this is probably the most credible contender, and if I had to bet, I would bet on this guy, although don't ever bet on cabinet nominees because you can never tell. Uh, but Kevin uh, McAleenan, Kevin McAleenan is the commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection. He is a longtime public servant, longtime in law enforcement. The president likes him because he's a career law enforcement guy. He's not a partisan. He worked for George W. Bush. He worked for Barack Obama. But he has been very, very adamant uh, for years that the border was not secure, needed to be secured, and we had an illegal immigration problem. And he was consistent across the Bush administration, the Obama administration, the Trump administration. The Trump administration is finally the administration listening to him. The president thinks very highly of him. Most importantly, McLean could get confirmed easily because Democrats and Republicans in the Senate both love the guy. 
never underestimate confirmability. Right now, it seems like Republicans in the Senate will confirm anybody, but that only goes so far. Uh, as we get closer and closer into the 2020 season, some Republicans will start trying to defy the president a little more. Those are the names. Those are the contenders. Those are the people uh, I'm told right now are the possible picks. There could always be a wild card. Personally, if I had to pick the Secretary of Homeland Security, I would do Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller, the White House advisor. I know people people on Twitter think I'm crazy because I said that earlier. But look, he has uh, inordinate power on the issue. He has the president's ear. He has the president's trust. He has repeatedly overridden the Secretary of Homeland Security on immigration issues. He has repeatedly set policies, uh, oftentimes uh, contradictory policies, uh, contradictory for the position of the Department of Homeland Security, doing things they said shouldn't be done. He did them anyway, recommended they be done. The president implemented them, put him in charge of Homeland Security. He's been running roughshod over Homeland Security forever. The president listens to him, not Homeland Security, on the issue, so put him in charge of the issue. Uh, and that would also give him some accountability on the issue as well. It's one thing for somebody to advise the president on these issues with no accountability. It's another thing to put him in charge of the department and have the accountability of that department in charge as well. I mean, go on. Put Stephen Miller in there. Now let's go to the phones, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, Tim in Buford, I'm going to go to you first. Personal phone call here, folks. <laughs> Yes, sir. How are you doing today, Eric? I'm good. How are you? Hey, listen, I'm a traffic trooper for WSB. They know me as Traffic Trooper Grumpy Pot. Oh, you! And, uh, <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, and I, I truly believe in uh, making sure that my WSB partners uh, understand what they're doing. Um, you had some water uh, spraying out of the back of your uh, fill line for your refrigerator. Yep. And what has happened is uh, a little water has gotten... Are you on a basement? Uh, no, we don't have a basement. Okay, a little water's gotten between your subfloor and your hardwood floor. Uh, obviously, you've got the, the fill line turned off. All you got to do, if you don't want the hassle, and it's totally up to you, but if you don't want the hassle of the, heart, uh, of the insurance company coming in and tearing everything out and replacing it, if you'll give that three, three or four weeks as that dries out, that hardwood floor will lay down, and uh, you'll probably never even know that it happened. Uh, you know, I've always wondered about that because the last time this happened, we had our dishwasher when we first moved into our house. The dishwasher had something in the line. We didn't know about it. Overflowed, ran ran across the kitchen floor and buckled. And they brought in these pads and they taped these pads to the floor uh, with, with suction. And they basically suction and then bring in fans across the floors as well. It was extremely loud and supposedly was sucking all the water out of the floor. Yes, sir. That floor has cupped because it's got a little water up underneath it. And, you know, anytime water gets on one side of a board, it's going to make it do funny things. Right. So don't let them come tear your house all up, brother. All just, right. Uh, give it a little time. Listen, and, I, uh, I, I won't because out. my wife is like, you know what? Let's just burn it down if they do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Not politics on this call. Uh, well, look, but, Tim, uh, I appreciate it very much. I really do. I always wondered if, if the floor dries out, won't the floor flatten itself back out? So that that's good to know. Okay, uh, one more call. Tony incoming. You're next. Welcome. Uh, hey, Eric. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. I was just uh, wondering. We have a catch and release policy in the uh, immigration, and it doesn't say necessarily there's no restrictions as to where we can release we have to release the immigrant the family to it, it generally is anywhere in the united states they want to go and they never show up for their for their trial 
for the for the most part. So I had a thought. Mm-hmm. It's costing millions of dollars for us to support these uh, people through schools and hospitals and what cetera, et cetera. Is there any reason we can't ship them to Hawaii? <laughs> Keep them on the island. Yeah, we know where they are, number one. It's a Democrat state, number two. Uh, Maisie Hirano is doesn't think there's an issue at the border, so if that's the case, yeah. um, just think what uh, what they'll be able to contribute to the state of Hawaii as far as the medical <laughs> facilities and hospitals. Well, so, you know, that is a clever plan, Tony. i got to give you that. There is a fatal flaw to your plan, though. I hate to come back to reality on this one because I appreciate the cleverness of it. But actually, federal judges have ruled that when you release, they have to be released in the jurisdiction wherein they were caught. So uh, if they're caught in Hawaii, they have to be released in Hawaii. But otherwise, you got to release them in the local area, which a lot of people are upset about. But that's the law. I tell you, have y'all ever been up to Homer, Georgia? We've, we've got a, a story fit for the bard, Homer. Um, it, it is like the Odyssey, except it's the Odyssey of going back to the polls over and over and over and over again. Uh, up in Banks County, there is a, a do-over election. It is the third election for House District 28. Uh, two times a federal judge or a, a state judge has thrown the election out. The race is between Chris Irwin and Dan Gassaway. And it is like, as, as Greg Bluestein notes in the AJC, it is like uh, the Groundhog Day movie. They keep having do-over elections. So, as Bluestein writes, it began during the May GOP primary. Irwin challenged Gassaway, a, a three-term incumbent. His district stretches from Georgia's border with South Carolina through Stevens and Banks counties and about half of Habersham County. In the first vote, Irwin appeared to unseat Gassaway by a 67-vote margin. But Gassaway discovered there were mapping mistakes that placed dozens of Habersham voters in the wrong House district. It was enough to affect the outcome of the election. So a Superior Court judge ordered a new election in December. The margin of the vote was even closer. Irwin clung to a two-vote lead while the counting was finished. Finally... The certified vote was 3,521 to 3,519. Gassaway filed another legal challenge, claiming 21 voters had illegally cast ballots. Among the residents listed was the Banks County Sheriff Carlton Speed, who was accused of living outside the district. Now, after a four-day trial, the judge found that four of the votes were ineligible, which was enough to affect the outcome. And so Irwin was removed from his house seat. Uh, So six weeks, the people. I've got to imagine that the people up there are livid with Dan Gassaway, the incumbent. I I just, I got to presume that they are. So Irwin has beat him twice in narrow margins. Gassaway has had the election thrown out twice. It's cost taxpayers money. Uh, Left the seat unrepresented in the special election. And I get Gassaway wants to hang on to power, but... My goodness gracious. Speaking of people wanting to cling to power, Stacey Abrams, when we come back, the Democrats are getting mad at her. Three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 
Good evening. It's Eric Erickson. The second hour of Atlanta's evening news. We've got some breaking news happening now. Federal authorities have arrested a 28-year-old in Germantown, Maryland. Uh, his name is Rondell Henry. He is alleged to have stolen a U-Haul van and planned to use it to commit a terrorist attack, in particular to run over a large group of people at National Harbor. National Harbor there, if you've been to Washington, D.C., if you're landing headed north into Reagan National and you see the big Ferris wheel there, uh, that is National Harbor. They're, they've got the MGM Casino there. Uh, the uh, They have CPAC at the, at the big... Um, Gaylord Hotel Resort there. It's a, it's a resort area there. Uh, he harbored, according to the indictment or the charge, quote, he harbored hatred for those who do not practice Muslim faith. Uh, he allegedly, according to the documents from federal authorities, uh, Henry allegedly was inspired by videos he watched of foreign terrorists. Authorities say Rondell Henry was basing his plan on the 2016 walkway attack in Nice, France, that killed over 80 people. There's no word yet on if he is an American citizen. This is happening now. Again, uh, news breaking from ABC 7 in Washington, D.C. That is WJLA in Washington, D.C. Breaking this news, federal authorities have charged 28-year-old Rondell Henry of Germantown, Maryland, alleging he stole a U-Haul van, planned to use it to run over a large group of people at National Harbor, uh, stating in, in the charges that he harbored hatred for those who do not practice the Muslim faith. Uh, we will keep you posted as this story develops out of Maryland. Uh, the phone number here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. We need to get into local news here, what's going on. You're starting to hear Democratic frustration about Stacey Abrams. It came to light on GPB this weekend in a roundtable discussion. Uh, Stacey Evans, who had run against Stacey Abrams, was on the panel, uh, but it was the the. Uh, political roundtable discussion involving Teresa Tomlinson. Teresa Tomlinson is the mayor of Columbus, Georgia. She has wanted to run for the Senate against David Perdue. She began her campaign plotting, and then after Abrams lost, uh, she held back wondering if Abrams was going to run. Well, Abrams has not announced, and as a result of not announcing, Tomlinson has come forward, but in her announcement, it's very interesting. She says she's running. Unless Stacey Abrams runs, then she'll support Stacey Abrams. Behind the scenes, Democrats are seething. Stacey Evans kind of lets out the frustration a little bit. I just I want to play this clip for you and let you mull it over. The, the interaction with Tomlinson, it's kind of embarrassing, actually. The Democrats need to start raising money now, and they're not. Okay, so this is the clip. Uh, it is from GPTV over the weekend, their political show, Roundtable Discussion, Bill Nygut, uh, Jim Galloway, Stacey, Stacey Evans, I think Eric Tannenblatt I saw on there, and they're interviewing Teresa Tomlinson, the Democratic uh, mayor of Columbus, Muskogee County, who wants to run for the Senate against David Perdue. Just listen how awkward this is. It is when I saw the news release that your team sent out this mm -hmm. morning. The headline is former mayor files for Senate race in Georgia, comma, running if Abrams doesn't. Right. Uh, the comma is problem. It, it's got to be a little awkward. Sort of explain what's going on. Um, you know, we've been our team uh, looking at this race for well 
a little over a year. And so back in the fall, when you all were all uh, very much engaged in the 2018 effort, uh, we were assembling a team and, and working toward uh, making an announcement. And then, of course, uh, Senator Schumer, uh, the minority leader and the head of the Democratic Party in the, in the Senate, uh, really uh, suggested to Stacey, asked her to serve mm -hmm. as the Democratic's nominee, be in that race and for the DSCC to support them. And so we've been standing down since that time. She said in your release that if Stacey Abrams runs, uh -huh. that you won't, mm -hmm. that you'll support her. If she doesn't run, will she support you? Well, we'll find out. I mean, you know what? We find out. We'll stay, find you know, out. She's been very busy, obviously. She's traveling now on her book tour. But, uh, but I think any number of us who go down to the Capitol at all have heard lately, especially from some Democrats, that they're starting to get impatient. Mm -hmm. That, I mean, Stacey Abrams, and Teresa Tomlinson has wisely said over and over, she has the right to decide to do whatever she wants. But there's a sense that it's about time that this race has got to be uh, joined pretty soon. This is Georgia's seat. This is not Stacey's seat or anybody else's. If it's not going to be Stacey Abrams, we've got to get going. But the time frame had to be extended because of uh, Stacey's book tour, which is fine. We just had to do this. I, I would think Stacey's starting to come across as looking pretty self-centered and, you know, to Democrats in, in, the, in the state. And I think I think you're starting to, you know, you said you picked up some things down at the Capitol. I think there is that sentiment here. You may not see it nationally among Democrats, but I think here in the state, people are wondering, do you really care about the Georgia Democratic Party? Yeah, you're starting to hear that sentiment behind the scenes. Listen, we need to go back because I don't think national reporters who became enamored with Stacey Abrams over the issue of white guilt, and to explain myself there, it's not really controversial. Most people tend to agree and think it's a fair encapsulation of the point. Reporters in 2018 spent an inordinate amount of time on Beto O'Rourke against Ted Cruz at the expense of people like Stacey Abrams and Andrew Gillum in Florida. They came closer to winning than Beto O'Rourke came against Ted Cruz. A lot of these white reporters who are liberal now feel guilty that they didn't cover the black candidates who could have won. And so now they're giving inordinate attention to those candidates, in particular Stacey Abrams, who is on her book tour, getting overwhelming amounts of attention. And now we got this situation where you've got the, the former mayor, Teresa Tomlinson of Columbus. She was a very popular mayor in Columbus of a consolidated area in, uh, in the state, in an area where Republicans tend to do well. She wants to run for Senate, has wanted to run for Senate, but she can't run for the Senate if Stacey Abrams runs for the Senate because she will be destroyed. Listen, let's not forget that Stacey Abrams' campaign team organized a protest of Stacey Evans where they shouted her down by shouting, uh, let the black woman speak or whatnot. It was a racist protest against Stacey Evans for being white. It's the black woman's turn, something like that. It, 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 was, it was crazy and racist uh, trying to shut down Stacey Evans. And the Democrats behind the scenes are beginning to see Then they're doing it privately, but they're more and more on background starting to say, you know what, maybe she doesn't have the interests of our party at heart here in Georgia. Maybe she has become enamored with her own publicity. The fact that they're beginning to say it on background to reporters 
is pretty striking because there is a level of fear as well when it comes to Stacey Abrams. You know, there's a lot of resentment. If you if you go back to the election, Stacey Abrams did not have the support of the of the Democratic political class in Georgia. I mean, the Roy Barneses of the world and whatnot, they did not support Stacey Abrams. And they've always thought that Stacey Abrams thought more highly of herself and her talents than she should have. None of them were impressed with her voter uh, registration drives. They think she actually did more harm than good. And now a lot of them are starting to think, you know what, Stacey Abrams really is in it for herself, not the rest of us. She's playing with fire. And if she burns it all down, she's happy to be the governor of the ashes. But what about the rest of us when we're all burned down? And they're beginning to talk about it. If Abrams does not make up her mind soon, it's not going to end well for her at all. The level of resentment continues to build within the Democratic Party. And the kicker is that it transcends racial lines. Black and white politicians both within the Democratic Party are behind the scenes beginning to grumble. You guys, my family has become dedicated users of Calm. Calm is an app, and Calm puts my kids to sleep at night. It, it really does put my kids to sleep at night. It's so funny. My youngest is 10 and listens to a story about Jupiter and its moons, and he can't tell me how the story ends, and it frustrates him deeply, but he hears the story, and he goes to sleep. And he loves that he goes to sleep, but he also tries to challenge himself to stay awake, and he can't. Uh, it, it's very, very funny. It, so it, Calm doesn't just do, uh, isn't just a sleep app. It's also for meditation. Um, they have all sorts of spoken word formats and music for sleep, for meditation, for relaxation. They've got guided meditations on issues like anxiety, stress, and focus, including a brand new meditation each day. If you head to calm.com slash Eric, you'll get 25% off a Calm premium subscription. Uh, my family, we pay for a Calm premium subscription. They, they don't actually give me the subscription. I actually pay and was a Calm user before doing this, uh, doing this ad on pod, podcast. Uh, it is a great, great app. I actually do believe in this app. We use it in our house. My daughter, my son, my wife, even me when I'm traveling and I'm in hotel rooms, particularly hotel rooms where there's road noise, I fire up the Calm app. It stays on my phone and my iPad. Right now, get 25% off the Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Eric. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash Eric. Get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at calm.com slash Eric. Get calm, stop, stress, stop stressing, and start sleeping. There is a new research study out today that cats, like dogs, can recognize their name. Uh, but, but, what the researchers found, this you will not be surprised to learn this. Uh, Drew, I hope you're listening. Uh, cats recognize their name, but more often than not, ignore it because they think they're the alpha and you're the beta. <laughs> As opposed to dogs who typically recognize that you're in charge of the house, cats have uh, behavioral tendencies that suggest they think they are in charge and they will ignore you calling their name if they're not interested, unlike a dog that comes to you all the time. There's also a study out that shows that dog owners tend to be happier than uh, cat owners. I grew up with a cat. I have a dog now, but I grew up with a cat. I've always liked cats. I had a great cat when I was growing up. Nonetheless, uh, the cat always thought he was in charge. Now, when we come back, Pete Buttigieg or 
Pete Butterjudge, as Siri refers to him, uh, he's taking some shots at Christians, and he claims to be one. Very interesting. We've got more breaking news this evening. Uh, Richard Seaborg, he is a federal judge in San Francisco, of course. Uh, He has just issued an order that prohibits uh, the administration from sending asylum seekers back to Mexico while they await their hearing. Uh, In January in in San Diego, the nation's biggest border crossing, the administration uh, issued a new uh, policy. The policy was said to respond to the crisis at the border and uh, that overwhelmed the ability of immigration officials to detain migrants. Uh, So what they did is that they would send the people back to Mexico to wait there for the asylum review. And uh, families seeking asylum, they had been released in the U.S. with notices to appear in court. Not anymore. Well, the federal judge in San Francisco has said, you can't do that. You can't send them back to Mexico to wait. Um, now, of course, it's, it's a judge in, in San Francisco. I can't wait for conservative judges in Texas to start issuing injunctions uh, and delays to the next Democratic president's um, orders. You know it's going to happen. Uh, and maybe then the Democrats will care about judges uh, using their positions to obstruct the administration when there aren't really good claims to do so. The president should be allowed to do this, but the judge has put it on hold. He is not uh, put, He's not making it I- immediate. He's uh, put the decision on hold until Friday to give the government a chance to appeal. Of course, they'll be appealing to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is very, very liberal. I, I want to get to Butter Judge, uh, but I don't have time. Now, for those of you who think, I, I just I got an angry email from a listener who heard me calling Pete uh, Buttigieg, uh, Pete Butter Judge. It is not meant to be disparaging. People, calm down. The very first time I ever uh, mentioned Pete uh, Buttigieg's name, I was using Twitter or using Siri to send a text to somebody because I was driving, and... <laughs> Siri translated it as Pete Butterjudge, and I have ever since uh, referred to him as Butterjudge. His campaign thought it was very funny. Uh, his his campaign manager he reached out and, and had a laugh out of it. Uh, they did in their campaign. I don't mean it disparagingly at all. We'll get there, but this is breaking news. Additionally to this, Jake Tapper at CNN has some of the best reporting about what's been going on behind the scenes in the administration relating to the ouster of Kristen Nielsen and others within the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, Jake Tapper has a, yeah, buddy, my text says, call him Butter Beto. Yeah, he's basically Butter Beto. Uh, he's running. He's winning the the Beto popularity contest with the media right now. They've all got priapism covering him. It's it's lasted more than four hours. They should go to the doctor instead. They're still writing hate geographic coverage of Butter Judge. In any event, so Trump pushed to close the El Paso border last week. Uh, Kristen Nielsen told him not to. Mick Mulvaney dissuaded him from doing so that it would be bad for the economy, bad for Texas. Texans would be very upset about it. The president said he did not care, but Mulvaney was ultimately able to get him to not do it. Uh, Christian Nielsen pushed back on several of the president's policies. After the president had left, the president uh, basically said that he was telling border agents not to let migrants in. Tell them we don't have the capacity. If judges give you trouble, say, sorry, judge, I can't do it. We don't 
have the room. And the president had to be admonished by his team for saying this. Here's what you guys need to understand about the situation, why the president was admonished behind the scenes, uh, which apparently led to even more anger against Kristen Nielsen. Behind the scenes, again, this is a key paragraph here. Let me read you actually both paragraphs so you get the full context of it. Last Friday, the president visited Calexio, California, where he said, we're full. Our system's full. Our country's full. Can't come in. Our country is full. What can we do? We can't handle anymore. Our country's full. Can't come in. I'm sorry. It's very simple. Behind the scenes, the president spoke privately with border agents, and he told the border agents not to let migrants in. He said, if a judge gives you trouble, say, sorry, judge, I can't do it. We don't have the room. Agents were confused as to whether or not the president was giving them a direct order. or He was just talking as this president sometimes does, and they were told they were not allowed to do that that they should ignore it. You have to follow the law. The law says you have to let them in. Here's what I think a lot of people don't understand. Uh, That actually is the law. The law is, and it is a clear law. It has been interpreted by the Supreme Court. There is no nebulosity. There's no vagueness. You have to let the migrant come in and then detain the migrant. You can't block them from crossing the line, crossing the border, if they're coming to seek asylum. If they're coming to seek asylum, you have to process them. You and I may not like that law, and I don't. I I, I think we should be able to do it on on the Mexican side of the border. But that is the law of the land, and, and there is no vagueness in it. It is crystal clear. And under well-established civil rights precedent and civil rights laws, if a federal agent violates a clear law, they are personally liable for violating that law. If the law has some vagueness to it, if there is there's some if the Supreme Court, for example, hasn't ruled on a piece of the law so that there's some argument as to whether or not it's, it's, it can be implemented in certain ways or not, An agent of the federal government is not personally liable, but if the law is clear or the Supreme Court has taken a vague passage and told you what it meant and made it clear through interpretation, the agent of the federal government or the state government, for that matter, by the way, under federal civil rights law is personally liable. So the law is, based on the way it is written and Supreme Court interpretation already, the law is very, very clear. You can't block an asylum seeker from crossing the border. You have to allow them in to process them. So if the individual agents did what the president said and said, sorry, judge, I can't do it. We don't have room. I got to keep them out. The agent himself would be civilly liable to the person he blocked. He could be sued personally, and the federal government could not defend him. This is one of the laws in the nation that ensures that federal officers, whether legal uh, in law enforcement or what have you, uh, or just civil agents within the IRS, that they comply with the law. If the law is clear and they break it, they will be personally liable, and the federal government can't protect them. So if they did what the president told them to do, they would be personally liable and the federal government could not cover their legal costs and could not protect them. They would be on their own. They would be in big, big doo-doo. 
And the president was encouraging him to do that. Now, whether he meant it or not, I don't know. But he was afterwards admonished. And in being so admonished, he got mad about it and ultimately led to the ouster of the Secretary of Homeland Security. Welcome back. Let's see here. Um, I don't have time for another call, but David was waiting to see if the law applied no matter how someone's coming uh, across the border. No, to, to answer the question, if someone's crossing the border and not seeking asylum, the law is different from if they're coming across to seek asylum. Uh, if they're coming to seek asylum, we cannot turn them out of the country. We actually have to process them uh, inside the country. And that's where the president, he was essentially conflating the different ways we handle it. Just illegal aliens, yeah, we, we can push them back out of the country. But if they're coming claiming to seek asylum, no, we can't. Uh, when we get in tomorrow, I guess we'll get into Butter Judge then. I'll talk to you all later.